and welcome to TLF Gems, a podcast about customer experience and insight from TLF Research. I'm Stephen Hampshire. And I'm Greg Roche. In this episode, we're going to be discussing chapter 13 from our book, Customer Satisfaction. This is all about comparison with competitors. And this really is, as, as, as you described, a little bit of a hodgepodge of a, a chapter. But that let... was off air, Greg, so <laughs> no one else needs all to right. know that. Oh, well, that confidence is now shared. Um, but let me start with a question, which is probably one of the most common questions that we tend to get into. So all this stuff you're doing about measuring customer satisfaction, great, we've got some priorities for improvement. But you can benchmark us against people, but surely it's only how our, against our competitors we compare. Because the only choice our clients have is us or our competitors. So why don't we just benchmark ourselves against them? Anything else is irrelevant. Mr. Hampshire. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a very interesting um, conundrum, that, because to the extent that, you know, customer experience, customer satisfaction is a, a competitive differentiator, a thing that's going to do you good as a business. Competitive means compared to competitors. Absolutely, yeah. So, so that, that must be, uh, you know, a, one of the crucial things we're always saying is if you stand out amongst your competitors in terms of customer experience, then you will, you know, win loyalty and, and do better, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I value. On the other hand, to a large extent, um, customers' expectations are being set by what they meet outside of your sector. So, you know, my, my expectations around delivery are set by Amazon, not by your close competitor, whoever it is. My expectations around, you know, my experience on the phone is set by First Direct, not by other people in your sector. Yes. So, so, it, so the, the <laughs> answer, in, in other words, I guess, is, you know, who, not so much who should you compare to, but what are you trying to learn by comparing with those yeah. people? But surely in my limited sector, as long as I'm the best of a bad bunch, that's okay, isn't it? To some extent. I mean, I think... Let's say that's true. Let's say you know you're a sector with terrible customer satisfaction. You're the best of a bad bunch in it. Well, yeah, probably for now the best of a bad bunch is going to be earning, if not loyalty, at least you know weary sort of resignation from its customers. But the the, the danger, I think, and we'll come perhaps onto this in a bit more detail later on uh, in this discussion, is that makes you very vulnerable then to disruption. So if someone comes along and says, actually, the, the way this sector works is, is not great, I can jump into this sector with a brand new offering that's way better than anything any of you are doing, then, then they can you know, massively disrupt that sector overnight. Yeah. I think the other thing to think about in terms of that, and it's not so much a comparison to the competitors, but going back to what we talked about in an earlier podcast, Higher, sort of higher customer satisfaction usually usually means a lot more efficient, cost-effective process because to make it easier and good for the customer, you've gone back, you've squeezed out a lot of inefficiencies. Mm-hmm. You know, the chances are if you're low-scoring in customer satisfaction, even if you're the best of the bad brunch, your complaints department is a pretty busy area and there's a lot of time being spent with customers in conversations that could be spent in a different, in a different way. Yep, there are arguments for satisfaction other than uh, in terms of, of customer loyalty. Absolutely, yeah. So I think in terms of customer surveys or competitor surveys, um, the book has, has various sort of models of it. The, the one that I tend to like and which has an awful lot of impact is, is not necessarily a full market standing survey, which perhaps we'll come to talk about, but just saying to customers, 
how does this company compare to, do you use others? Mm. Yes, no, you have a nice filter question. You know, how, yeah, how does it compare, better, same, worse? You can do it on a numerical scale, but better, same, worse, and why do you say that? And it's the, and why do you say that, that I actually find is quite useful for reinforcing the priorities for improvement, particularly sometimes even if they say the same, you know, what would they need to do to be considered better? Sometimes you can get them to name the competitors as well if you want to go like that. But I find it's a, a competitor question is a good one for getting traction with the decision makers because it's always going to be interesting that 40% think we're better, 20% think we're worse, and that's because of delivery. It's a good, it's a good hook as well as a good bit of um, business MI. Yeah, and I, I tend to agree, and I, I think what you're what you've probably implied without ever quite saying it there is that we're mainly talking about a business to business world when we when you talk about that that sort of comparison yeah. to competitors question. Um, for, for, I think for, that's for a number of reasons. So partly because business to business markets tend to be a little bit more neat. You know, there, there are a relatively small number of suppliers. Customers know what the market is. They know who the suppliers are. They probably have evaluated or, or even worked with a lot of the suppliers. So customers are able to give a very kind of rational, often based on experience, assessment of strengths and weaknesses. And that is, off, is less true in most B2C markets. Um, so you, we might talk about how you might approach it in B2C markets later on, but I think that comparison question can work very well in a B2B market and is probably not very much use in a B2C market. What about with retailers or mobile phones or utilities? I'm uh, not sure I think I'm agreeing with you here. Asking it as in those terms, so, you know, um, who else, you know, have you worked with? I don't know. I, I rarely find it that useful, to be honest, in a B2C market, um, just because it tends to be there don't tend to be those clear-cut differences. I think there are better ways to approach it. So in a B2C market, I think it's much easier to run a proper market standing survey yeah, and okay. actually more informative. The other thing to say about asking that as a you know, one question or a few questions, yeah. you know, how, how does XYZ yeah. compare to, to their competitors? The obvious problem with that is that it, on your customer survey, they're your customers. So if you don't come out of that comparison quite well, <laughs> there is something deeply, deeply wrong. Uh, it's a very biased sample, Yeah. Uh, which doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. It can still be useful, but just bear that in mind yeah. when you're interpreting what it tells you. Yeah. Okay, so how do we go about doing a full competitor analysis? Well, just before that, what do you see as the advantages of doing you know, comparisons with competitors, a full competitor survey. If you really want to know how do you, how does the market see you in comparison with your competitors, the only way to do it is to draw a sample from the whole market and get scores for, you know, the major suppliers in that market and see how you all stack up. So if that's what you want, that's the, that's the answer. Uh, you can probably tell by the, the sort of cautious way of yeah. answering it. I think that's it's difficult, it's expensive, and it's rarely that useful. So yeah. I think there are much better things to spend your money on, in my view, most of the yeah. time. Definitely is always very interesting, mm. particularly when you start looking at perhaps some gaps or comparisons to how we compare in you know the product area or the service area, because you are compared to, 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 to obviously competitors who have, you know, have to deliver the same things. I always find them really interesting are never quite useful. They, 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 they take you to a doorway, mm. 
but they never quite open the doorway for you to go through is how I sort of find it. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree, really. I, I think, again, I find that's, that source of the market standing survey, I think it's quite useful B2C. Because and really, you get the slightly murky water where it's you know what's a brand survey, what's a yeah. customer experience market standing survey. There's a lot of overlap there, but I think in a B two C world, it can be very useful to understand quantitatively where are we positioned in this market. Yeah. I think particularly at the strategy level, where are we going to be? Our whether it's our brand values or our strategy or whatever, you know. I'll, are we being seen as a cheap, friendly option? Yeah. <laughs> are we being seen as exclusive, expensive option? You know, how are so? I can see it much more at the strategy level than the driving actions. Yeah, uh, driving I, action levels. I agree with that. And just pragmatically, the process of getting that data B two C is relatively cheaper, relatively easier, yeah. and it's relatively more useful. Whereas I think B two B getting the data is so difficult and so expensive that it isn't really worth it, I would say. As a rule, I mean, there are exceptions, but as a rule. Yeah. So what advice do you tend to give clients when when, when they're interested in competitor surveys? Um, Well, depending on on who they are, either you could probably spend your money better (laughs) or... uh, Sorry sorry to interrupt that, Stephen, because it is probably worth saying, it's a really expensive bit of research. Mm. It really is expensive because it's... Yeah, and should we explain why, do you think? We're just asserting that for now. Yeah, yeah, okay. (laughs) <laughs> well, you need to contact, so compared to a customer survey, it's obviously relatively easier to get people to take part because they are a customer, so they have some vested interest in doing it. And you need to do enough so you get a reliable results for yourself. For a market standing survey, obviously people are going to take part in the research and you probably want it across all your competitors. <laughs> or certainly significant ones. So there's a lot of field work, time, data collection to try and get something that is reliable across all the different competitors or that covers the market across all the different products. So it, it, I was going to say, you know, it's a fact of, you know, times four, times five. It's a lot more time, effort and expertise needed to put in to getting the information. And I feel you can add to that. Well, this, I, think, I just think it, it, people tend to underestimate how difficult this is. It's difficult talking to customers a lot of yeah. the time. So it's hard enough to get to a reliable sample of your customers from what is presumably a relatively good database um, as a starting point. So where do we source a database of the market? Sometimes that's easy and we can go to a sample provider and buy one. Sometimes it's not. And that, that depends on the structure of the market. Yeah. Having, but it always has a cost. Yeah. Having got that, you then need to in, do a survey that, as, as you said, is you know, four or five times the size just in terms of sample size. And rather than say, phoning up and saying, hello, can we speak to, to you about your relationship with XYZ PLC? Mm-hmm. We have to phone up and say, hello, can we speak to you about your relationship with someone in this market? Uh, I can't tell you who because that would bias the results yeah. of the survey. Uh, so trying to do surveys that are anonymous in terms of blind at the beginning, who's yeah. the sponsor of, yeah. of the project, that means your response rates are, because you're phoning me, I'm not a customer and I don't know who you are, response rates are low. Um, it just gets very, very, very Well, well what incentive is there to take part? And I use the word incentive as sort of giving you a... Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
depending whether you choose to offer a financial incentive, <laughs> either that or very little. Yeah, uh, uh, and that's why it just ends up being, and, and, and particularly in often in market standing surveys, you want to get into quite a lot of detail. You know, the question we talked about before was one question, a typical market standing survey, particularly if you wanted them to talk about numerous competitors, can be quite a lengthy survey as well, which again is why incentives are sometimes used, or thank yous, financial thank yous, are, you know, are, are, are used for people. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, I mean, it, I've probably been too negative, maybe, and I, I think that kind of quantitative approach of we'll take your list of, you know, fifteen requirements and ask them to customers about all your competitors. That, that those surveys are really long, really boring, and customers rightly hate them. I think if you took a more qualitative approach to it, um, then you can often learn a, a lot more. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and actually that's more fun for the customer as well. So for example, if you, if say you're working in construction and you're phoning um, architects or specifiers to talk about their perceptions of different suppliers, that, that can be a really interesting piece of work. We've done work like that and, and learned a lot yeah. from it. But I think the more qualitative it is to understand how do customers see this market as opposed to can you score this massive list yeah. of suppliers on this massive list of questions. Yeah. Um, I think that's the response rates will be much better if you if you take that more interesting qualitative yeah. approach. And that compares perhaps to then a market standing survey. I, 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 where I found it quite useful with clients is saying, okay, let's not think about market standing. If there's some things you want to know specifically how you compare, perhaps it's your delivery, perhaps it's your complaint handling system, perhaps it's your call center. What, and if those were your priorities for improvement, what you're trying to improve on, there probably is some really useful information you can pinch, understand, learn from how are your competitors doing this, particularly if your competitors are doing it better. Mm. Well, they have this online chat facility, they offer this, they offer that, they do this, this is how they approach it. So you can get some, I was gonna say quick wins, you can certainly get a lot of learning from how you compare. Your delivery might never be as good as Amazon's because of the sector you're in, but if one of your competitors is better, why? And why can't we replicate that and then enhance it? Yeah. I mean, a couple of other points that jumped into my head looking at this chapter. If you had done a market standing survey, yeah. a useful tool to, to sort of draw a map of the market is the relative perceived value yeah. map, which uh, I think it was originally invented by Bradley Gale. And, and we've sort of, we have used in the past with, with, with clients. I think it's, it's a useful tool because it, it basically plots, you know, what the, the market thinks of different suppliers quality so you can essentially put most satisfaction uh, on on that kind of axis versus what it thinks of, of cost um, so you could put either price or, or cost and sort of axis and things yeah. like that uh, on the vertical axis uh, and the idea is there's a lot of fair value you can be a waitrose and you can be uh, a little and you can be a sainsbury's um, and i think that it's a useful intuitive approach to understanding value I think there's a couple of flaws with it. One is it gets a bit tricky defining a market. So are Waitrose in the same market as Lidl? It depends a little bit. Is the cooperative in the same market? Well, a bit, it depends what you mean. So, so I think it gets very, where you define the market can yeah. make a lot of difference to whether you look like good value or bad value. Yeah. 
the same sort of thing happens if you look at the automotive market. So you know, are Mercedes in the same market as VW? Are they, in, are they in the same market as Ford? Or are they actually, is there effectively the markets, a luxury the car market yeah, and yeah, a, a sort of yeah, everyday yeah. car market? They, those kind of definitions can, can turn out to be very important to, to where your position looks like. I think the other issue with the relative perceived value map is that it it pretends everything's very cold and clinical and rational, um, and that isn't quality isn't actually quality. It's perception yeah, of value, yeah. uh, which is a slightly different thing. Absolutely, uh, um, absolutely, yeah. Um, the chapter also talks a little bit about switching, which mm. which. which I quite like the the idea of, and it, it and it takes me back to some work that that, that we did. Um, with with quite a big, you know, with an insurance company, where where we were looking for, you know, how do we get customers to switch to us? And it was a really interesting um, exercise that you know that, that that we did, because it, it the phrase that came along was, you know, we don't want butterflies, um, we want those sticky. Barnacles. Barnacles. Barnacles, not butterflies. Thank you. Those sticky things that stick to rocks, I was going to say. <laughs> we'll call them barnacles for this. Yeah. Barnacles, not butterflies. The danger of any sort of marketing or attraction campaign is you get the butterflies mm. who are bored, switch a lot. And they're not going to be great from a customer lifetime value point because they're going to fly off to the next one that they see. So we really tried to want to understand the barnacles. What was it about these customers that made them stay for a long time? And again, this was more qualitative in some ways. What were the feelings? Why were they staying? And then they did a campaign on trying to attract necessarily fewer customers, but barnacle customers, because a few barnacle customers was a lot more value than a lot of butterfly customers. Yeah. And I thought that was really sensible um, a really sensible piece of switching research. Yeah, I think you know, views about propensity to be made loyal is, I guess, what we're talking about, isn't yeah. it? Like, who, who are the customers who, if we do a good job for them, are willing to become loyal, who are not necessarily very price sensitive? It ties in very much with the idea of customer lifetime value. Yeah. Because it, it isn't necessarily, again, this particularly applies B2B, I think. It's not necessarily the big, shiny, high-revenue ones that we want to, to go after. It's the ones who we can keep, um, the ones who will be quietly profitable over the long term. That That's kind of yeah. the heart of a successful business, I think. Yeah. And I think a lot of the B2C market has seen that they can use their fantastic reputation promises brands to sell other products whether it's mobile yeah. phones or it's electrical stuff, mm. apart from what would be seen as a traditional grocery retailer. Mm. Um, again, understanding we have these loyal customers, we have a reputation, they, they, they like things with us, they like the way we approach things, you know, therefore there's an opportunity to, to sell them other products. Yeah, know, and I think, I think um, well, customer lifetime value it's very hard to get away from the the sort of the fundamental um, sort of profound insight of Harvard's three R's, you know, retention, Absolutely. referrals, related sales. That those are the heart of why customer lifetime value makes sense. If you can persuade customers that you're trustworthy and reliable and care about them, then you will end up making more money. How? Because of 
retention, returns, and related sales. Yeah. And I think the other, th we talked a bit about value. There's no doubt if you've got a barnacle, they will put a value on the relationship. They're less price sensitive. Yeah. And um, ultimately, it, it's sometimes an in-depth question to use, you know, what would they have to do so you wouldn't consider a competitor? Yeah. And again, getting an answer to a question like that and listening to the answer and understanding what drives the answer, again, you know, it, you know it's a great comparison, a great comparison question. The flip side, by the way, I, I think one of the things that I think is a sign of a business that's lost its way is that it sets its prices very high and then massively discounts them for new customers or offers lots of vouchers, um, the kind of Pizza Express model, if you yeah. like. Uh, I think that's a sign of a business that has, has just lost its sense of value, getting customers and keeping, find the right customers attract them and keep them, um, to me, is, is what a good business strategy yeah. looks like, and that's almost the opposite. Yeah, you're thinking about barnacle pizza here, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, barnacle pizza would be great, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think, and then there's a whole load of stuff at the end of the chapter, which I don't think we're going to get into really, but about... There's some good modelling you can do. It, it's You've got about, lots of numbers, lots of data, you can do some pretty good stats. I think it's that principle of winning and keeping the right customers. How do we define what the right customers are? Uh, and I think that that's really what it's talking about, rather than segmenting on, you know, demographics or even current value. Can we segment based on, say, customer lifetime value yeah. or the propensity to be made loyal? Do these look like they're going to be a good long-term customer for yeah. us? Yeah, there's no point winning customers you're unlikely to keep. Exactly. So I guess that, that wraps up our chapter on comparisons with competitors. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, if you're using iTunes, please subscribe, rate, and review us. And if you want to get in touch, you can find us on Twitter at TLF Research or at tlfresearch.com. Thanks, everyone.